this past year during COVID, I don't know if you've read any of the statistics on kind of just the changes and things that have happened socioeconomically, um, but the world gained 5.2 million new millionaires. So those that have a net worth of millions of dollars, there's 5.2 million more of those people. Part of me is like, I didn't, it's like, I didn't even know it was like 5.2 million already. You know, like, like there's just 5.2 added on, right? There, there's so many new millionaires. Not only did an exorbitant amount of people get added to that club, but those who are considered billionaires, who have the net worth of billions of dollars, they got 54% richer during the pandemic. 54%. Jeff Bezos, uh, the founder and longtime CEO, which I, was, right, I think he's stepping down recently or changing his roles uh, of Amazon. Not only is he uh, the richest person alive right now with a net worth over $200 uh, billion, it's hard to even say these numbers. Like, I don't, they don't even compute in my mind fully. Um, but uh, he, his net worth grew by 24 billion during the pandemic. Just him alone, 20, 24 billion in the beginning of the pandemic and nine months in actually, I, it hasn't even been the whole thing. One, one report said that he could give away uh, $105,000 to every Amazon employee right now and he would still have more money than he did before the pandemic. I, I, again, these things just do not register. Like, what do, what do you make of this? Just a few of these stats. There, there's plenty more that we could go through. But what do you make of that amidst global suffering, amidst people uh, being pushed out of jobs, of losing, losing income, uh, not knowing how to pay their bills, life being taken, uh, the threat that at any day in the wrong atmosphere, you could get sick and lose your life. Like amidst all of these things, the number of people living in poverty globally doubled to more than 500 million during the first nine months of the pandemic. Like what, what do you make of the disparity that we find? Not just in the United States. Like this, this is something that plays out worldwide though. It can be subjected to certain countries. What's really crazy is this last year, uh, Amazon was sued for withholding tips from employees. So there was contracted drivers that they could kind of sign up and drive their own car. And then they were guaranteed a certain amount plus any tips you keep 100% of. But what Amazon did is they took the, the payment amount and then if they received a tip on top, say it was a large tip, they would still cap it at the guaranteed amount that they originally on the cost of this their thing. And they were sued and now have to pay back um, over $67 million in wages to these contracted employees. So not only are they just, just crushing it and, and gaining so much wealth, but then they're actually taking advantage of their employees. It's because it's actually happening on the back of those that carry out the work that they do. Now, I'm not here to beat up on Bezos or Amazon, uh, though it might sound like it. Uh, the list of uh, those who ambitiously grew over this last year, even at the cost of others, is quite long. I mean, you can go through and you just, you just look at the growth and then you look at a lot of scandals that happen on behalf of employees. I mean, you just go through and through and through and it is a long, long list. But it's not just in big business, right? We can look at city gentrification and as downtowns are remodeled and uh, revamped and whatever they're doing with those, rents go up and people get pushed out who can no longer afford those rents. We can look through history and we can see things like the apartheid in South Africa. We can look at the transatlantic slave trade here in the U.S. And essentially, white male landowners gained in the name of religion 
and social progress. You can even look at televangelists. I don't know why I laugh at that one the most. It's <laughs> closest to that one. But like, they have airfields and mansions. And you know who gives to them the most are the poor and the desperate. Here locally in the Central Valley this past year, one report of our essential farm workers said this, when the coronavirus hit, their work was ruled essential. So they kept working in the often cramped facilities that fuel a state industry that exports $21 billion in agricultural products each year. Workers told the Guardian that in the past months, as much of California sheltered at home, they took their places at the production lines and sorting tables against all social distancing guidelines. As their companies made excuses for why coworker after coworker stopped showing up for their shifts. Some workers said they had to learn from news reports they had been exposed to COVID-19. Others said they felt obligated to work even when showing virus symptoms. Then they returned to their homes and cities across the region unknowingly exposing their parents, their spouses, their children, their aunts, uncles, and cousins to the virus. It seems that throughout history and across our globe, ambition fosters animosity. That the desire to achieve a particular end can come at the cost of others. And doesn't our culture love to celebrate those who are ambitious? Now, whether you find this as an encouragement or not, this idea that ambition fosters animosity is nothing new. As we continue our series uh, in James this morning, which we're calling Now What? As we seek spiritual wisdom for the unpredictable life that we find ourselves in. Believe in this we can actually find a different way forward. And it's because I think James shows us a different way forward, a way that restores humanity amidst a world of animosity. We'll set this morning in chapter five. So we're actually gonna jump ahead, left off. Uh, Lila brought us through the part of chapter three last week, which by the way, just crushed it here today. So you can say good job, um, but just great. If you missed that, like go onto YouTube, go on the podcast and listen to it. Um, but then we're going to walk back to chapter three, actually. We're going to jump around just a tad. Now, James 5, 1 to 6, 6 says this. Now listen, rich people, James knows who talked this morning, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have wealth in the last days. And look, the wages you fill Amazon. Pride harvesters have reached the ear James um, as he writes to them, late laborers, those that they're talking about in the fields here that are being held with wages, oftentimes they were day laborers. So they're not salary, they're not hourly, they're literally finding work day by day by day. So when you withhold wages for that day, there's a good chance that they cannot eat. They cannot provide for their family. 
And this was pure exploitation of the poor by the rich. This is the, the rich getting richer story to say. Their ambition was fostering animosity. Now, quick question. Who is James writing to? Yes. There's, not, you, there's a lot of answers that you can throw out. Right to the early church. Okay. Now, specifically, we learn all the way back in chapter 1, verse 1, that is the church that is what? Scattered. The church that is persecuted. Meaning that this is a lot of Christians who have been pushed out under persecution, under oppression, that have just been pushed off of their land, pushed out of their jobs. Their lives are being threatened because they're followers of Jesus. It's the diaspora. They, they've been spread out. They have been dispersed. And the reason I bring that up is I think it's very easy to think that James is talking to Jeff Bezos right now, right? James is talking to the agricultural industry here in the Central Valley that was making our central farm laborers work without even giving them heads up on what was going on, right? Very quickly, we can think that. And that's part true. It really is. And it might be easy for us to avoid the idea that he's actually right to you and me. Right, you go back, he's right into the church. He's right into those that are trying to follow Jesus. And amidst them, there are people who are abusing their riches. He could be writing to you and I. So let me ask you this. Are you ambitious? You have ambition in your life. Things that you want to see achieved, things that you want to see happen in your life, maybe for your family. Do you have ambition? Because if so, I think he's writing to us. Here's a sample experiment. We'll see how this goes. When you found out that you were going to be getting a relief check last year, what were your first thoughts? Vacation, upgrade the car, home remodel, pay off some debt, put it in savings, right? Like there, there's some good economical use for it, no doubt. And maybe, maybe, maybe let's say you paid off debt with it. Why'd you have debt? Did the debt have anything to do with your ambition? Did your debt have anything to do with the things that you want to achieve and see happen in your life? Now, again, a little experiment could fall short because the reality is some of you maybe had very real need for that. You were economically impacted and those came at just the right time. So I don't want to miss that because there's truth to that. But I would guess a high percentage of us had some ambition with our relief checks. But the reality is, is we all have this. Now we're going to walk back to James 3. He says this, who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down or it does not come. Such wisdom, oh my gosh, such wisdom does not come down from heaven and earth, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So let's hang out with just verse 16 for a second. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil 
practice. Do you see it? Ambition. Now, is ambition in itself bad? Right? Like it is, it is a bad thing to have ambition. I wouldn't think so. I think ambition can be something that's indifferent. I think ambition can lead to a productive life with God and with others. Like I, I think we've been wired to have ambition. We really have. But what does James tack on to it? Selfish ambition. And not just selfish ambition, but envy. Selfish ambition and envy. I don't know if you heard recently, speaking to Jeff Bezos, he's just weaving in and out of this message. Uh, he wants to go to space, right? Like they're going to do some stuff up in space. I don't know all the details. But someone caught one and said, beat him to space. You want to know Richard Bronson? Like, you know, I want to go to space. And then compete to see space for. I wonder if like any envy or selfish ambition is attached to that. I don't know. I, I might be overreading. I wonder for us, we don't need space. But what are you ambitious about? Or maybe, what are you envying right now? Like if you look over your past week, what have you looked to most? you just wish you had we sorry start thinking and every evil practice. I would call what James was talking about in chapter five an evil practice. There was disorder people living lavish lifestyles. is always bound with a larger system of social and political oppression. See, it's not the wealth in abstract. It's not just that these people had money that James was going after them for. But it was the action aimed to emerge inevitably when there's... I heard a story this week there's a minister down in LA, uh, a certain neighborhood, and twice a week, he would serve the homeless, whether it be through food, through clothes, through whatever it was. Uh, and at one month, out of nowhere, nearly triple the amount of people in need of his services started showing up those two days. Out of nowhere. He'd never seen anything like this. So he started asking around, and it became a common denominator between all of them. They had all come from a certain apartment complex recently. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go see what's up and what's going on here. And he goes and talks to the guy. And lo and behold, it's a member of their church. It's a, it's a successful CEO that is, that is a part of the church, that is generous with the church, that, is, uh, that contributes to the life of the church. 
And he asked him, he's like, dude, what's up? Why are all these people on the street of the apartment complex you just bought? Like, well, I got kids that are going to college and I wanted to make an investment so that we could pay for that college. And this was a chance that something needed to be renovated so I could buy it low and I could renovate it and I could raise rent because I could use that extra 30K a year. Now it's interesting, like if we look at this, I'm not sure the CEO fully knew the consequences of what he was doing. I wouldn't even go as far to say that he's inherently a bad person that's trying to oppress anybody. He's actually trying to look out for his family, right? Like he, he's looking out for the provision of his kids who are about to go to college, which I think everyone starts to know more and more the closer you get to that, like you dread the idea of having to pay for college. And he's just doing what any normal human being with some means would try and do. But can't that be true of all of us? See, I don't think any of us are willingly trying to hurt anyone. I don't think any of us are, are innate bad people that are looking for opportunities to seize ambitions that we have on the backs of other people. But the reality is, is that when we make decisions to do things, when we have ambition for certain things, when it's attached to selfish ambition and it's attached to envy, the numbers skyrocket in the chances that we are oppressing somebody else. Because we could look at the CEO and it could say that he is showing up, he is participating in the life of the church, but maybe he's not open to the transforming work that God might be doing in his life that apparently other people need him to be doing. So this morning, if you think about your ambitions, you think about the things that you're wanting to achieve, the things that you're wanting to see happen. If you were to pause and ask, who might be paying for this on the other end? What does that look like? How far will you go to get that early retirement? In what ways have others... Um, yeah, in what ways may others miss out on behalf of the next investment that you're trying to get to? Who is it costing for you to get into the right neighborhood to curate the proper public image? What's the cost to someone for you providing the best for your kids? See, the reality is that envy and selfish ambition are the cultural waters that we swim in. Those that study culture say we operate inside of three spheres, spheres, individualism, materialism, and consumerism. And individualism says that it is a deep-seated bias that fights against commitment to anything that doesn't directly serve our individual interests. Consumerism, it is based on the belief that I can't help others until I help myself, that my need trumps the needs of others. And materialism is simply about wanting stuff in the here and now. And that the now becomes a greater reality than the spiritual and what is after this life. See, James is calling all of these out in you and I. Each of these are fueled by envy and selfish ambition and ultimately lead to disorder and evil practice. Which James condemns those who live in luxury regardless of the cost to other people. Assuming that extravagant wealth will protect them from the death of judgment. In each of these spheres, we lose sight that God does not condemn them for a failure to keep odd and outdated practices, but for failing to care for the poor. 
one author wrote. So what other way does James give us? He finishes in three with this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, I think left to our own wisdom, left to the wisdom that we naturally just have within us, the wisdom that we think comes from knowledge, um, left to these own things, I think it will continue to lead to disorder and evil practices. If we continue just to, to stay in the group that is most naturally like us, as we continue just to look out for those that are closest to us, we kind of just go the ways that we naturally feel. Odds are some people are getting put out into the street, metaphorically, in some way, shape, or form. See, James says that Wisdom that transforms us and transforms everything around us comes from heaven. And I don't know about you, but this goes against this, this natural feeling inside of me that says if I gain more knowledge, if I learn more skills, if I achieve more, whatever it is, if I just grow older, I'm going to gain more wisdom. But wisdom comes from heaven. Wisdom does not see talent or skill. Wisdom does not see how much knowledge you have. Wisdom does not see the number next to your name. Wisdom comes from heaven, which tells me that the wisdom that actually leads to good deeds, the wisdom that pushes against this natural flow that we can operate in in regards to envy and selfish ambition is something to be received and not attained. It's something to be invited in rather than grasping for. And again, I don't know about you, but that goes every, against everything inside of me. Because isn't it so much easier just to go and grasp and do and find and whatever it is. So I think the question for us here is, are we open to God changing our ambitions? Am I seeking wisdom from heaven to form the decisions that I am making out of my ambitions? things that I desire. Now, here, here's a potential couple litmus tests for us. Um, if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, are people interested in your life? Like, do people ask you, like, what, what's different about you? Like, why, why do you stand out in the pressures of the world? Why do you stand apart from other people? man, I noticed something in you that's just different. I don't know what it is. I'm specifically talking about people that are outside the church, outside of faith, which also assumes that we have people in our life that are outside of the church and outside of faith. But are people like asking you, where do you get your wisdom from? Potential litmus test. Okay. I'm going to wrap up. Here's another one. If you look year over year, over this last, last year is hard, I, I know. But year over year, so say let's go five years back, maybe even 10. Have you grown closer to people that are different than you? Specifically, have you grown closer to people that have less than you? that don't have anything to offer you, 
that don't gain you clout in the right circles, that don't help you move up the corporate ladder, that don't give you insight on the next financial moves you should make? Or have you moved year over year to people that are different than you? Maybe that you would see as less than you. Litmus test to see if what James is talking about, are we listening? So maybe a few things we can do. Think about just the busyness of the world and the pressures that we all have. I mean, just the, the moment you wake up and sometimes even through sleeping in the night and why you can't fall asleep. Um, but maybe one thing, to invite this wisdom, to invite this thing that comes from heaven that actually leads us to humility and good deeds that changes the world. What would it look like in the mornings to pause and just receive that? Before you grab your phone, do your best, like before you get hit in the face by your kid at 5.30, I don't know. Like before the craziness of your day starts, what would it look like just to pause? Five, 10, scary number, maybe 20 minutes. And just sit there in silence, maybe read a psalm out of the Old Testament, out of the prayer book. And just sit and say, God, can I just hear from you? I want the decisions that I make out of my ambitions today come from the wisdom that you've offered. What would it look like just to pause and receive that in the mornings? Another one, give generously. This isn't my, just my backhanded way of asking you to give to Midtown. Not just. But like, are we countering the system? Are we actively pushing against individualism, consumerism, and materialism? How about you? But one of the greatest ways to do that is to release yourself from the desire of growing financially all the time. And one way is to give. Give to church because we, we get to do good things with it. This is the hope, the transformation is happening. But I think it's more so for you. It's more so for me that when I give, I am participating in transformation here. That I am saying, God, you have given so much. I don't have to rely on every penny. I don't have to grasp for every single thing. I don't have to be put in jeopardizing situations where I will choose to oppress other people so that I can continue to gain. Right? This is the starting point of just releasing those things that can start to foster animosity from our ambitions. And then lastly, are you in spaces with people different than you? And some, some of you find yourself in spaces, maybe through work, um, I don't know, spaces that maybe you didn't pick. What would it look like to pick some spaces where people are different than you? And again, maybe, maybe going to the less than route. Now a danger here I wanna give a little bit of voice to as we wrap up and we're gonna go into just a time of prayer is that it could be easy to want to fight against the oppressors, especially right now in our cultural moment, right? We can point and we can blame shit and look at those that are causing harm and then we can navigate and we, can, we could want to just correct them and change them and, and fight for our behalf and fight for the cause that we believe in. But I wonder sometimes if that can do more harm as those who are causing the harm sometimes don't even know they are causing the harm. And what most often transforms people is when they are invited in by the way of love and grace and mercy. 
how can we press into that? I know we have ambitions for good causes and we need those. But may it come from a place of being deeply spiritually formed, formed by the freedom that Jesus talks about that delivers the oppressed and sets the captives free and gives sight to the blind. May we continue to press into that.